Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read in just a moment verses 31 through 44 in its entirety, but we will only make it through verse 37 this morning. But I want you to see, I want, to be able to, I want you to see what Luke is trying to zero in on. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31 through 44. Let's go ahead and read this morning. And it says, and he, talking about Christ, he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And, he, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And the amazement came upon all of them, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality and surrounding district. And then he got up and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. And now Simon's mother, mother-in-law, was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. Now while the sun was setting, all those who had... Uh, who, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on each one of them he was healing them demons were also coming out of many shouting who are uh, you are the son of god but rebuking them he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the christ and when the day came jesus left and he went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and he tried to keep him from going away from them but he said to them i must preach the kingdom of god to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. May God bless the reading and the, the preaching of his word this morning. As we come now, as we're entering into the, the kind of the closing section of chapter 4, if you remember, chapter 4 is the beginning of the Galilean ministry of Jesus Christ. He is traveling, as we see, from one town to the next, and he is prioritizing the preaching of the word the, the gospel if you will he's he's prioritizing the the teaching of the law in in the prophets uh in the synagogues he is not prioritizing the healings and the casting out of demons now he's doing that and so as we kind of come to this in section here of chapter four luke's going to zero in on that but you even see throughout this these verses that we read that he is still saying that I must go and teach, I must go and preach. Matter of fact, his first stop was his hometown of Nazareth, where he goes into the synagogue, where we saw this a few weeks ago, and he preaches and teaches from Isaiah. And there he reveals to them that he is the promised Messiah, and that he has this ultimate mission of bringing the lost to salvation, rather than setting up an earthly kingdom. Unfortunately, the people there did not believe him. They did not believe him to be the Messiah, and 
quite honestly, they didn't care. What they wanted was, was the, the miracles. They wanted the, the healings and the casting out of demons and all the supernatural things that they had been hearing about. And so Christ, when he rebuked them, they became angry. They rejected him and they almost had him killed. And so now he heads down. He, he goes, uh, Nazareth was a little bit higher, so he kind of, he goes down to Capernaum. Uh, and we'll look a little bit at that in just a moment. But he goes into Capernaum, which he makes the base operation of his ministry. And unlike the people of Nazareth, Jesus is going to come into Capernaum. And he's going to do miracles and mighty works and deeds before these people. And he will not be confronted with a mob who wants to kill him. In fact, he's going to be confronted by a demon. And then he's also going to be confronted by a mob of people who want to be healed. And so this becomes the central focus of the text. Luke's goal in these verses, in these, as we close out these, next, uh, these two Sundays, this chapter, his goal in, at the entrance forward is to zero in on the authoritative power of Jesus Christ. That he has the ability to set men and women free from both the supernatural and yet physical oppression. I've entitled today's sermon, The Messiah's Authority. The Messiah's Authority. We saw his mission, we've seen his ministry, and now we're going to, and we saw even his rejection. Now we'll see the power and the authority by which he does all of this. And you will see that the big idea this morning is that here in Capernaum, the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus will demonstrate great authority in preaching and healing a man possessed of a demon confirming that he is the Messiah. Let me say it again. That in Capernaum, the synagogue Capernaum, Jesus demonstrates great authority in preaching and in healing a man possessed of a demon, confirming he is the Messiah. And here's my hope this morning as, as you and I walk through these verses. My hope is, is that you will see and embrace the authority of Christ. My hope is as we walk through this that you will see and embrace the authority of Christ's word and then also the authority of Christ's work in salvation. To not simply just be amazed at him, to not simply be stunned by him, be, be you know, just in great awe and wonder of him, but that you would believe and submit to his authority. And there's only two main points this morning. There's two main sections, and I'm going to break this up today. And then we'll look at, there's actually four, we'll look at the other two next week. But for today, his authority in preaching and his authority over the demon. His authority in preaching and his authority over the demon. Let's begin here. Look again there in verse 31 and 32. It says, Then he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and there was, they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. Now, as I stated earlier, Jesus leaves Nazareth, and now he heads to Capernaum, the town uh, which was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It is the home of Peter and, and Andrew. Uh, it is where we will find Matthew, the tax collector. Um, but it is also a place where Jesus himself will do great miracles great uh wondrous deeds mighty supernatural acts we're going to see uh jesus heal the centurion's son the nobleman's son uh we just read of peter's he, uh, peter's mother-in-law which is healed and the many who come uh casting out demons we're going to read of jarius's daughter who dies and jesus brings her back and much more 
As we discovered a few weeks ago, the priority of the ministry of Jesus was his preaching and, te- and teaching. And, and you even see it here in this verse, if you will look with me in verse 36. Um, after he cast out the demon, it says, And the amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. You, you must remember, beloved, that the great works and miracles that Jesus does and the apostles were always done to affirm the message of Christ, to affirm the message of the apostles. It, it wasn't that the preaching affirmed them. The, the, the priority was always preaching and teaching. And so the question was, well, how do we know this is true? And Jesus, let me show you. If I can tell a man who's been lame to get up and walk, I can also tell him that his sins are forgiven. And so, and so we see this, that this is always affirming the message and the word that is being taught. And they even say it there. So we know that the teaching is the main thing. And they say, well, he is teaching with great authority. Notice the word teaching. From my study, I found that Luke actually only uses this one time, and it's right here. So I think this is uh, uh, something that we can zero in on this morning, that this word in the Greek means to, uh, to teach, instruct specific truths and specific doctrines. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, it's very much what we saw last week. It's what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, or, or, or last when he was in Nazareth, when he was talking, uh, preaching through Isaiah is that Jesus here is he's going through the Word of God, he's unrolling the scrolls, and he's giving them the specific meanings and truths that are coming out of that. We call that today expositional preaching. What we call that is, is this explaining of the Scriptures. It, it, it's where we take the Word of God and we teach you specific truths and doctrines that come out of the verses, that come out of the text. I'm not coming to you and, and preaching a sermon to you on alcoholism because I, there was a bad wreck or something this past week, and so therefore I want everyone to know about alcoholism, and so therefore I go find some. That's not what this is. It is systematic, expositional preaching where Jesus is taking the Word of God, He's unrolling the scrolls, and He's going through them verse by verse, as again, as we saw in Isaiah, where He did in Isaiah there in Nazareth, and He's proclaiming to them the truths of God. The initial response to this is amazement. The people were stunned. John MacArthur says that, uh, that really, you could, this could be a better translation, maybe even stunned or dumbfounded. Why? Well, this was a message that they had never heard. They had never heard truth like this. You see, in Nazareth, they were amazed at his gracious words, if you remember. In Capernaum, notice what they say. They were amazed, for his message was with authority. Now, what does that mean, that he preaches with authority, that his message had authority? Does that, does that mean that Jesus just got up there and with great passion and zeal just gave this wonderful sermon? Does that mean that Jesus got up there and with great uh, persuasion, he, he commanded them and influenced them to go out and live righteously? Well, probably that's part of it. Maybe that's in there. The actual Greek word for authority here is the word exosia. And and it refers to delegated authority, and it combines the idea of right and privilege and might and power. It's it's basically attributes that have been granted to an individual. A governor or or an emperor would grant someone the privilege and the might to, to go out and to declare the rules and the commands. The word denotes permission, control, rule, and somebody has authority. They are able to determine something, whether something is right. They are able to render judgment on something. 
like how a king can render judgment or our own government has has authorities who render judgments and they govern us in any dimension of life there are authorities individuals who have the privilege and the power and the permission to set the rules and determine the judgment of something again this is what jesus was doing this is how jesus was preaching he was rendering judgment or declaring the meaning of the text he was standing there and he was reading the text and he was saying to them this is what this is this is the meaning this is the truth this is what god says you say well that sounds very unusual i mean were the were the rabbis not doing that well apparently not Mark actually tells us in his parallel version of this, Mark says it this way. He says, they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, notice this, and not as the scribes. Interesting, right? The teachers of the day were not preaching the scriptures. The teachers of the day, were, the scribes of the day, were not teaching the scriptures as they were meant to be taught. Instead, what they were doing was they were teaching their own opinions and their own traditions and their own worldviews. Some had some followed one rabbi and some followed another rabbi. Some really only cared about traditions and cared about only their opinions and their their belief system. They were not standing up there and saying, Thus saith the Lord. They were saying, Thus says Rabbi so and so. Which is exactly what you see in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing that on Wednesday night. So think about the Sermon on the Mount, how many times we saw in chapter five where Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say to you You see, he says, I, and he being God, with great authority and with the privilege and the power, I tell you the meaning of this. It's more to it than what you have been taught. And they were stunned. Because let me just say this, this is what happens when someone actually preaches the word to a church or to a group of people who have not been receiving the word of God. They become stunned. They, go, they, 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 they sit under a scribe, they sit under a pastor, a preacher who tells stories and jokes and tells all kinds of different topics and he just rants and raves and, and he can beat the pulpit and he can do all that and he can do that for years and years and years and years and, and he can tell you his opinions, he can tell you, you know, the way things should be but he doesn't actually teach the scripture and say, thus saith the Lord and then all of a sudden something happens, they come, someone else comes in and he begins to say, listen to what this verse is saying this is what God means, this is what God is commanding and all of a sudden people go, oh, I never knew that happens all the time it's happening in our day, and what we find is it was happening in their day. The scribes were not teaching the Word of God. And so Jesus comes in with great authority, and ultimately he has the authority. The authority is his because he is God. These were his words, these were his laws, these were his commands. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus was not sitting there when God was, and the Holy Spirit were inspiring the prophets and stuff, and Moses and him to write the Old Testament. Jesus was not sitting over going, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. No, these were his words. Because we know him to be God. And that he, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were in unison and that they were all in agreement. They were, the words being spoken throughout the Old Testament were his. So, so these are his words. These are his commands. These are the very things that he inspired the prophets of old to preach, to, to proclaim, and the law to be written. 
because he himself is the ultimate authority. It was absolute truth, proclaimed absolute truth directly from the source of truth. FPC, we want to be like Jesus, do we not? That was a question. We want to be like Jesus, do we not? Can you imagine sitting under someone who never actually preached the word of God? Do we not want to be like Jesus who, and be able to embrace the preaching with authority of our day? This is, this is why we embrace the core value of expositional preaching. And this is why, you know, you may think, well, there are other values that are more important. Beloved, th- this is probably one of the most important values that we can embrace in our day for our local church. is because we want to preach like Jesus Christ. We want a church and we want a Lord's Day that we can come into. And the authoritative word of God is being proclaimed. We want our preaching and our teaching to come from the very source of God, which is what? The scriptures, the word of God. We want to preach and we want to teach with authority. And by the way, we don't want the authority and the preach teacher with the authority of Trey or Brian or the Sunday school teacher. We, we don't want to stand in our Sunday school classes or in the, in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Sunday school teacher, thus saith Brian. No. We want to come before you and become in our Sunday school classes and our Sunday nights and our Wednesday nights and our Sunday mornings and when we're out there mentoring and we're out there evangelizing, we want to say, thus saith the Lord. And to do that, dear friends, we must preach like Jesus Christ. We must open up the Word of God and we must teach specific truths and specific doctrines and we can do this systematically by going to the words and then interpreting this and bringing it before the people and saying, thus saith the Lord. Now, why do we do this? What benefit is there when we preach this way? Because isn't it, because let's just be honest, the other preaching sounds a little better. The, the other, the, the, you know, when, when a preacher can get up there and he can just tell you about what happened to him on Friday night and how he told somebody and, and they got saved or they didn't get saved, it's a wonderful story. Or, or they can tell you a joke or they can tell other stories that they can just tell you that they think this is what everything's going to be like and this is what, and this is how I picture it. And we can, you know, or we can rant and rave or we can do political agendas. I mean, honestly, you'll probably get more amens from those types of things. But why is it that preaching, that teaching is not beneficial? You find it in the text. Notice verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. You cannot ignore this. You cannot ignore that there was a man, a demon-possessed man, who has been attending church. We don't know how long, how many times this man sat under the scribes, sat under the Pharisees, sat under the religious teachers of their day, and not one time did he ever stand up and go, leave us alone. They had no idea. They're blown away by this. There's no telling how many sermons this demon has sat under. But yet those messages lack the power to disrupt the evil and the wickedness and the sinful. Those sermons, those stories, those traditions had lacked the power to confront this man with the demon that was inside of him, to confront him with his own sin. The truth of God's word, 
The power of the Spirit attacked him and it lashes out at him. Which ultimately leads to his healing. He doesn't like it. He lashes out at it. But ultimately he is brought before Jesus Christ and he is healed. Beloved, the authoritative preaching of God's word will have far more greater effect on you than anything else. The systematic, expositional uh, preaching of God's Word and teaching where we take the Scriptures and we teach the Scriptures as God has meant for us to teach them, as Jesus Himself taught them, will influence you in one of two different ways. When a man begins to preach the Word of God, one of two things is going to happen to, to the people that are sitting under this preaching consistently. One, they are either going to come closer to God. They, they're going to begin to move into God. They're, they're going to be broken over their sin. They're going to be confronted with all of the stuff that is in them and all of the things that they are doing that is sinful. And they're either going to, they're going to come broken before Him and He's going to draw them in and He's going to either save or sanctify them. And restore them like this man is restored. Or it will bring you to hostility and rejection of God. And you will either run out the one who preaches or you will leave yourself. Thus the case of Nazareth who tried to kill Jesus. And thus the case of the demon who said, leave me alone. You cannot sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and remain neutral. This is why we need it. Because it is the authority of God. Not the pastor. Not the Sunday school teacher. But the Word of God is the authority. And when it is proclaimed to us, it does something to us. And I submit to you today, dear friends, that we need more authoritative preaching of God's Word to flow from our pulpits. We need less pet peeves. We need less political agendas. We need less human creativity. We need less of these things. And we need to begin to realize that to go after anything else is a slander of the authority of Jesus Christ, of His power. These things, listen, these other things may amaze people, but these things, but the preaching of God's Word brings demons to their knees a good story will amaze a man but the preaching of the word of god will bring a demon to his knees the preaching of the word of god will sanctify christians weak christians it will bring sinners to salvation. It will heal broken marriages and it will bring joy to the downcast. And so I encourage you, FBC, that you and I must embrace this type of preaching. This, this must be a core value that we never move away from. No matter who's in the pulpit, whether it is me or whether it's Trey or whether it's one of you or whether it's someone we bring in from the outside, no matter who is ever in the pulpit or in the Sunday school classes, or in your mentoring of, of, of other people, in your discipleship groups and things. You must understand that we must teach the Word of God. We must commit our local church to the value of preaching and teaching like Jesus Christ. Because it makes people wrestle with God. And it brings us to Him that we may find restoration and let me just say this, there's a couple things that I would say that would be very beneficial in this church continuing this process long term. 
Two things. I would encourage that FBC get behind the work and the labor of training up men. Because let me just say this. We don't want just just flowing from our pulpit. We want it flowing from all pulpits. Amen? We want it flowing from all pulpits. We, 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 be, we want to see churches in our community and our brothers and sisters. We, so, and, and it's hard to find pastors. I don't know how many pastors we can't find, right? churches without pastors, right now in our association. But people are having a hard time finding pastors. Wouldn't it be a, a beauty and a joy of a church to be able to raise up men who preach and teach this way? And we send them into churches and we send them into communities. But I would even tell you that we must prioritize even the preacher's study of the word. And before you go and go, oh, he's just needing more time. No. Prioritize the preacher and the teacher's study of the word. That we have men who are teaching in Sunday school classes. We have, we have uh, people who are, who are discipling. We have people who are filling in. We have preachers. We have, te- we have people who do this throughout our church. And they need to be able to study. They need to be able to preach like Christ, teach like Christ. You say, well, what way does God give us that helps us and allows people to be able to have that study? It's called deacons. We see in the book of Acts, we see that God brings deacons who are able to serve the church that others would be able to go and study and be prepared. We're going to be hopefully doing that this year, making a couple extra deacons. But I would secondly submit to you today that not only must we embrace this in the pulpit, we must commit ourselves to, become, to place ourselves under the authoritative preaching of God's word consistently, regularly. Sometimes the problem is the pulpit, but sometimes the problem is, is that the church itself will not, they don't come regularly. People don't come regularly. They, again, leave me alone. Quit preaching about that. I don't want to hear that. And so we're not here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday under the preaching of, of the Word of God. We have demons, not literal, but, but demons, problems, issues in our life. And the Word of God confronts that. And so instead of placing yourself under the Word of God week after week, we remove ourselves from the Word of God, the authoritative Word. And here's the thing. The preaching of the Word of God is a means of grace that God has given you to help you. Commit yourself to attending regularly, and it will affect you positively. And pray that God would give you a love for the Word of God. And I would even suggest that you pray that God would allow it, would give you the strength to become, to submit to the authority of the Word of God. Because this is where we wrestle, myself included. But secondly, I want you to notice now the authority over the demon, in which we will even see in just a moment the authority of Jesus' work and salvation. Look at verse 34. He says, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out without doing him any harm. And the amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with the authority and the power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. You see, in this chapter, chapter 4 earlier, at the beginning we saw the showdown between Jesus and Satan. And we see Jesus win this great showdown in the wilderness against Satan that Jesus never sins in thought, in word, or in deed. But now at the end of chapter 4, we now see a showdown between Jesus and the demons. And it's really not even a showdown. Luke will refer, and by the way, you're going to see this over and over again, because Luke is going to refer to demons 23 times throughout his entire gospel. So we're going to see this over and over. You'll see it again even next week. So what we have here is a glimpse of the power and the authority of Christ over the wicked spiritual forces. 
And we know, Paul himself tells us, that this is what we wrestle with. And so when we read this, we must be very careful, though, not to visualize this demon, this man, as though uh, we would visualize Hollywood making a horror movie, or maybe the, a, a fiction author in a book, or a Halloween costume. In, in fact, Scripture describes them quite differently. I find it interesting and, and not scandalous at all that the demon was actually in church. Because in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15, this is what we read. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Beloved, demon possession is not scary in the way the world has portrayed it, if the devil appeared to you in, you know, colored in red with horns and a pitchfork, you would run away. If he appeared to you with black eyes and scary, like a scary costume, you would run away. But what we see in Scripture, this is not how they work. Instead, this man may have actually portrayed himself as a very religious man, a faithful man to the synagogue. He may even been a teacher at some, maybe, or something like that. We don't know. But, but what we know is, is that w- these demons, these minions, just as Satan, disguise themselves as angels of light, false prophets. I would say to you this morning that it is very likely there are more demon-possessed people in the pulpits in America today than they are in dark alleys. And you may probably listen to one or two of them throughout the week. There are individuals, prosperity gospel preachers, other religious teachers and stuff that are very popular, smile real big, ask for your money, and they tell you you're going to be okay. And yet we're always looking for the guy with the red horns and the pitchfork. This is not the case. In the Garden of Eden, she did not run away from the serpent as I run away from serpents. Apparently things have changed. But there in that perfect world, there was nothing that would scare her away from Satan. But instead, he was able to get her ear, Eve's ear, and begin to deceive her and to lead her away to defy the Holy One. And that's exactly how they work. And many of us, many people, would rather persecute you for calling out a false prophet than they would for someone to teach heresy and false teaching of Jesus Christ. They hate it. And so notice what this demon says. He says, let us alone. Get the word of God out of here. You, you get out of here. You leave us alone. And notice that he says here, let us alone. It's in plural. It's likely that this man was not possessed of many demons. It's likely that he was actually speaking as a spokesman for demons in general. Because in verse 35, when Jesus responds, he actually responds in the singular. So it's, he's actually saying, one, get out. So this demon's responding for all demons. He's saying, you need to, you need to leave us alone. You need to go away. You need to get out of Capernaum. 
Because I got some boys over here, and we're going to see. The, the boys, they're going to come to Jesus, and he's going to cast them out. You need to leave us alone. Get out. What business do we have with each other? The meaning here is, what have I done to you? What, what have I done that you would come and attack me? What have I done that you would come and bother me? All of this is in hostility. But not this next phrase. This next phrase is interesting. He says, have you come to destroy us? This is hostility, but this is fear. He says, you, he doesn't say to Jesus, you have no power over us. He doesn't say to him, you cannot destroy us. But instead, this demon speaks of the fear of eternal judgment. Because he knows that his time is coming. And, and he is worried that this may be it, that Christ has now come and, and we're about to be cast in the lake of fire. But, but notice this next phrase. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This statement is what was most, to me, is most interesting. This demon recognizes Jesus as the chosen Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come to do exactly what God proclaimed to Adam in Genesis 3.15. To crush the head of the serpent. I know who you are, and you have come to finally crush our head. James 2.19 tells us that demons also believe and they shudder, which is affirmed in verse 35, for Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing any harm. Christ commanded him, Be quiet, come out. Both of these are in the aorist imperative, which means that the command is to be followed immediately. Do not delay. You ever tell your children to do something and they just kind of go? You ever tell your spouse, maybe? Just kind of delay? That's not what happened. When Christ spoke and when Christ commanded to come out, there was no delay. It was immediate. It was urgent. It was right then. The manner of Jesus dealing with the demon in this passage is very it's a very good and clear demonstration of his power and his authority over the spiritual realm. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus will say this. He will say, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. And then he will rob his house. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, is that I am the stronger man who has come into the domain of Satan. I have come into Satan's house and I am about to bind him and I am about to take all of that that he has Jesus is the stronger man. He is the one who comes and robs Satan of his domain. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. How does Jesus bind, or, or how does Jesus set the captives free, bind the enemy, set the captives free, and triumph over all of evil? How does he do this? Well, ultimately, he does this because he has ultimate power. He has ultimate authority. And, and this is just a foretaste of it. But if you want the greater picture of his authority and the greater picture of his, of his uh, ability to save those that are in the domain of darkness, you only need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, again, we, we read, it says that when you were dead in your transgressions, Colossians 2, 13, uh, 14, 15, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers, when he had disarmed the rulers, the spiritual rulers and the spiritual authorities, 
He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And, and, and I don't know if the Greek pictures this, but as I read that, the picture in my head is one whose enemy has been slain before him, and he just stands over him. He, he walks over him. And is that not the picture of Genesis 3.15, that Christ would come, and with his heel, he would put, uh, he would crush the serpent, he would triumph over the serpent and bring victory over the serpent? Paul says the saving work of Christ on Calvary has prevailed. This, what we're seeing with this demon in this, in this church service is nothing more than a foretaste of what God is about to do. Christ came in this service and he set one man free from the domain of darkness. But when he goes to the cross of Calvary and he dies for our sins and he rises from the grave, dear friends, he is going to set all of those who come to him in repentance and in faith free. They will come and they will be set free. And here's the thing. You will be set free from your sins. You will be set free from the wrath of God. You will be set free from the judgment of God. You will no longer be captive of this domain of darkness. This is just a taste of the great power of which is to come. That he who knew no sin would become sin for us. Did you not hear what he said? Did you not hear what he said? I know who you are. You're the Holy One. In other words, you are the one who has not sinned. How does this demon know? Obviously, it's Jesus. He knows. But can you not, do you not remember the beginning of chapter 4? This guy's only a minion. Where the boss man, Satan himself, for 40 days goes toe to toe with Jesus. And this demon says, He lost. He couldn't get you to sin. You are the Holy One, the sinless one. And dear friends, it is by the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he sets men free. I offer you this encouragement this morning. That Jesus' demonstration of power over this demon reveals his ability, his power, his authority to deliver captives from the domain of darkness. To deliver you from your sin and transfer you to the kingdom of light. You can find salvation today in Christ. You can find salvation today in Christ. You have been confronted with your sin because the word of God has been preached. The authoritative word, the gospel has been proclaimed to you. It's doing something in you now. Hopefully it is either, it is either helping you to rejoice in your own salvation, but if you're lost and you're unsaved, I pray that it is bringing conviction to you and you are wondering, can I, who is being convicted of my sin right now, can I be set free? Like this man here, can I be set free from my own sin? And the answer is an absolute authoritative yes. Come to Christ this morning. Repent of your sins. Believe upon Christ as Lord and Savior. Believe that He gave His life for you. Rose from the grave and you shall be saved. And beloved, I would say to you this morning, there are those of us who would love to help you with that. 
But you can also, if you're a Christian this morning, find victory over sin. That maybe there is a, again, not literal demon, but maybe there is spiritual issues or struggles in your life that you can submit yourself to Christ. And what we see is that the authoritative power of God, of Christ, can, can help us be sanctified and overcome our sin. But FBC, before we dismiss, I must offer you a warning. I encourage you to come. I encourage you to believe and submit But I warn you, amazement is not enough. You see, Luke tells us that these people were amazed, but what we don't see is any of these people being restored. We don't see, he doesn't tell us of people following him. We don't tell us of people repenting of their sin and believing upon him. We don't tell us of people being baptized by him. The the Bible tells us that that, that this demon believed in Jesus. You are the Holy One. There's nothing I can do. You're going to destroy me. The angels we read through scriptures adore him, serve him. But what we find throughout the text, and many times, is that many men ignore him. They think he's a great rabbi, they think he's a great teacher, great prophet. And they are amazed at what he does. But they do not believe, and I'm here to tell you this morning. That the same faith that awaits the demons awaits those who are amazed but do not believe. The amazement of his teaching of power is not enough. You must not only be stunned by Jesus, but you must submit to him. You must submit to Christ, the word of God. And he calls you to submit. And he calls you today in the same way that he called the demon to, 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 to get out. He calls you now. Do not delay. Come now. Do not wait, beloved. If you would this morning, would you bow your head with me? As we prepare for the invitation this morning, I, I, just, I just want to share with you that we have seen that Christ possesses all authority in his word and all authority over all supernatural forces in his work of salvation. I suggest to you this morning that you would examine your heart in this time of invitation. Ask yourself, is the Word of God the supreme authority in my life? Does the, does the Word of God, do I submit to the Word of God? And if, and, and if you are a teacher, do you teach the Word of God? Do you teach authoritatively? Dear friends, we must submit to the Word of God. To not submit to the Scriptures, to not submit to what, Bi- what the Bible teaches us, to what the Bible commands you to do, it would mean that you are not submitting to Jesus I would also ask that you would examine your heart, your life. Are you struggling in spiritual bondage, a a sin that would plague you this morning, a problem that you cannot overcome? I would charge you this morning that you would run to Christ this morning, that his power may grant you freedom, ultimate freedom and ultimate joy today. And has Christ set you free? If he has not, if he has not set you free from darkness, if he has not saved you, may I say to you this morning, He has disarmed the powers of this world. He has died and risen in all power and glory. You need only to believe and to repent, to come to him. Let him work in your heart. Let him transform your heart from the inside out. Call on him this morning. And if you need help, if you are needing help in learning more on salvation, would you come this morning and find that help? Let's pray.